Art House Roadshow, a podcast on film, faith, and mental health, with your hosts Kyle Myers and Hank Spalding. Welcome back, movie nerds, to another episode of the Art House Roadshow podcast. Uh, today, uh, we are going through our much-awaited um, Joan, the Passion of the Joan of Arc. Uh, Passion of the Joan of Arc. That's really funny. Passion <laughs> of Joan of Arc. Uh, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kyle. Happy Easter, everyone. Happy Easter. Uh, and we're excited that you're with us. Um, I wanted to say a brief apologies. I know that on our last podcast, I, uh, I mentioned some things that would be dropping just due to some illness in my life and... Uh, uh, some other just work complications and everything. Um, I haven't been able to get out the um, next round of the Star Wars um, podcast as we're going up to Obi-Wan, but then also I promised some Moon Knight coverage. I haven't done any of that, so we're f- now officially four episodes behind. Uh, so uh, that'll hopefully come out in the next week or so. But today we're actually really excited because um, we've been talking about doing this for a while with Joan of Arc uh, because this is a, a very unique film. Um, but uh, before we get too far down the road, uh, Kyle, how are you doing? Happy Easter. What's going on in your life, man? Oh, man, I'm doing good. Uh, coming up to the end of the semester here, like everybody else, and and feeling a sense of things coming to an end, which is nice, and looking forward to break, and being able to actually spend more time writing more in-depth about movies and watching movies, so it's all very exciting. That's awesome. Are yeah. you, is the primary vehicle for your um, movie writing engagement your letterbox? Yeah, primarily. I do have a an old blogger account. actually has a picture of Joan on it. Oh, wow. Um, and that I keep a lot of, you know, write stuff on there that I haven't published in a while, but I actually like some of my longer letterbox reviews to put them over there with pictures because I love pictures mm-hmm. uh, as obviously illustrative of what I'm talking about mm-hmm. um, and would love at some point to have the technology to even do some video essays oh. um, to be able to put up on there or a YouTube channel or something that would be fun. Yeah. Uh, as much as I like to highlight the visual qualifications of you know the expressiveness mm-hmm. and what's going on and light and water and things I get worked up about, um, it's fun. Of course, yeah. Well, maybe that could be uh, a part of the the roadshow in the future. It's, yeah. It's, uh, the video vlogging with our video vlogging. That's redundant. Vlogging with uh, with Kyle. Um, well, if you are interested in reading more of uh, Kyle's letterbox, um, just check out our Twitter page and or Kyle's Twitter page at Cinema Nineteen Seventy Eight or Art House Road. Um, you'll see lots of letterbox offerings there from the one and only yeah. Kyle himself. So if that's something you're interested in, please check this out over there and we'll get that um, up to you. But yeah. So did you have a good Easter with your family and everything? Yeah, absolutely, man. This is the first Easter service in three years I was able to go to because uh, mm. the shutdown two years ago. And then I had COVID uh, last Easter. Oh, wow. Which was a super big bummer. Yeah. Um, and so actually being at a uh, Anglican church service for Easter, and we also did Monday, Thursday, which was I've not done that service before mm-hmm. uh, in the Anglican church was uh, really great. So it was That's a really awesome. invested weekend. Yeah. Yeah, was this the church that you planted, or is this a, a different community that you're... No, this is uh, St. Andrew's Anglican in mm-hmm. Delaware. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, above, uh, just above Polaris, and a uh, very established Anglican church that we really love. My wife is 
getting going through the whole process to become a priest through that church mm. um, mm-hmm. as she's also pursuing chaplaincy. So it's been a real landing place for us, a real gift. Yeah. Well, I, I also attended uh, I attended Episcopalian church, um, not an Anglican church, uh, which there's slight differences there, but yeah, uh, probably similar bit, though. Yeah, we'll, yeah, that'll be a conversation for a different day. But yep. the thing I appreciate about both communions is their use of the uh, Book of Common Prayer. Yeah, which itself is um, it's such a great resource too. And I had a friend who's a very up like high end uh, Anglican priest who once told me that she's that the um, she uses the Book of Common Prayer as a way to celebrate cycles. Like you've got the liturgical mm-hmm. calendar cycle, but you've also got life cycle. And so those kind of circles kind of like revolve around one another. And so yeah. your entire cycle of life from birth to death and just the liturgical season is wrapped up in this one book yeah. that you're supposed to use throughout the major um, signposts of your life. You know, it's all in that book. And so um, I really appreciate that uh, kind of like attention to spiritual um detail in a certain sense absolutely and the meaningfulness of it um here as you know here in the road show uh we love um detail and spiritual insight that kind of thing absolutely anyway so uh, i'm glad that that was uh going well i I thought of you because i I think it was a couple months ago i saw a picture of you and uh your family i think at saint andrews then um yeah that's right i think your son was receiving communion Mm -hmm. something like that is a really beautiful uh picture um and i forget the caption that you had with it but it was uh, very meaningful, and so I, I thought of you during Easter. You yeah, know, no, absolutely. They were getting uh, baptized. That's right. Yeah. yeah, so that was a really great uh, moment for us. That was actually baptism, like the baptism, baptism of Jesus Sunday. Oh, wow. Right. So, again, if you follow the Anglican Episcopal uh, Catholic you know, calendar, they will have specific Sundays related, not just Christmas and Easter, but all mm-hmm. these different mm-hmm. um portions of the gospel and scripture that mm-hmm. uh they come back to yearly right as yeah. in the cycle and so that was a really uh wonderful experience for mm-hmm. our kids for sure well yeah that's wonderful and i hope that everyone listening has had a, a wonderful easter as well we're going to be heading into the season of easter now um mm-hmm. for the next several weeks and um you know heading into uh common time after a season of pentecost which will be loads of fun but Either way, um, we're glad that you're here with us. Um, We're going to talk about the Passion of Joan of Arc, but before we do, just really briefly um, with our one segment that we keep going, uh, Kyle, what are you watching? (laughs) Well, um, I don't know if you've followed much here, Hank, being sick and whatever, but uh, watch twice. Um, everything, everywhere, all at once. Have you seen this? Or do you I have not. I, yeah. I, I've been following the drama on, on your social <laughs> media page about it. And I don't yeah. mean to call it that. I don't mean yeah, that no, derogatory it? It, get a little, it did get a little dramatic. It did. Well, because I know that you yeah. were really excited about this. Yeah. Um, and it didn't meet up to expectations, in my understanding. Is that is that fair to say? Well, yeah. And in that, I mean, I didn't necessarily know what to expect, but I did like their previous film. Uh, which was also, you know, a lot of silliness and and imaginative creativity that takes a sharp turn into, uh, like this movie, a fairly emotional place. Um, that was, you know, a profound, independent kind of work, and and I think, you know, I've myself and and other um, paid critics out there that you'll see uh, are championing films like this just because it's not a tentpole Marvel, Disney, Star mm-hmm. Wars movie. And we've kind of, in all the big tentpole movies, lost a lot of the smaller, independent, mid-budget you right. know, kinds of things like this and this, the new uh, film, The Northman, that's coming out this oh, weekend, yeah. Eggers' film. 
Um, and so, you know, I want to be able to obviously support those kinds of things, but, um, and I definitely had a strong reaction the first time and still wanted to try to, you know, um, be open and, and embrace some of what was being given, but, um, ultimately it brought up a lot of my, you know, issues around secular, uh, or sacred versus profane storytelling and, and narrative in addition to the psychological, mm-hmm. you know, component of, you know, being a person who's suffering and who's struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's hard, <clears throat> it's difficult to write about in with all of those layers involved. Right. Um, because as a counselor, I would respond very differently, you know, to the character than I would uh, in terms of narrative mm-hmm. and, and art. Um, and filmmaking, and so it's it's difficult. But you know, my main issues were just um, expo- you know, looking at the the fairly obvious to me secular narrative components um, that in real life, you know, I see having like real limitations, uh, real barriers, and don't open up the way that you know this kind of secular gospel is being preached. Right as we. Um, talked about before the idea of toxic goodness and some of this uh stuff that that is out there and so you know uh while i you know hit pretty hard against those things you know that doesn't mean that i judge everybody's experience for the most part people are having a really you know intense emotional experience with it right so it's not meant to take that away but as we get into talking about joan of arc i think you'll see you know uh, in a very bright way from me, like highlighting the history of cinema, what it's capable of yeah, uh, visually uh, and certainly narratively as it had a much stronger connection to uh, the gospel, biblical narrative mm-hmm. and storytelling um, coming uh, in, its, in its birth. Um, it's difficult to kind of see the ways that this and, and maybe the Batman and, and others recently have, and I'm sure almost positive the Northman is not going to have any um, spiritual, hopeful, biblical <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> things coming out. I'm anticipating that, but you never know, right? Um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so it's interesting and uh, it definitely took me for, you know, a bit of a ride in just processing it and putting it out there and, and having other people respond to it. So where have you landed on it? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm really uh, frustrated because <clears throat> I think even in the second watch, I, I did – see and and appreciate the emotional turn point of what's happening between the mother and the daughter and some of it uh the letting go and and those kinds of things re- regarding all that i i think are valuable mm-hmm. uh but was just frustrated that the whole thing was then wrapped around this one person the youngest person's suffering mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there wasn't any tension or appreciation for the mother's suffering uh or for the grandfather's uh, Chinese. I mean, this guy's coming from China to right. America. He's not right. even American Chinese. He's like Chinese Chinese, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, um, I see, you know, what what certainly what they're hoping for with that. But I think I would have preferred something that really like suggested what real families go through is that mm-hmm. we all have different values, experiences, identities, beliefs, and whatever. We're constantly contending with that. Mm-hmm. And as a culture, we've not done a good job of making space for everybody involved, which includes mm-hmm. Joy's experience in that. Right. Um, and certainly doesn't neglect that. But I think yeah. the way that they um, suggest 
that the youngest person has the most wisdom mm -hmm. in that context was, you know, it's, that's just a questionable yeah. feature to me. Yeah. There's been a couple of, of uh, newer shows that I've seen that I really dislike that kind of like completely banish the idea of tradition in some ways, like Joan of Arc kind of leans into that too. Um, mm -hmm. This idea of tradition, I obviously teach church history and things like that. So like I have a very soft spot in my heart for tradition. Yeah. And not for its own sake. I just talked about the BCP though. I mean, I think that's a healthy form of tradition that goes back centuries. That's really yeah, helpful. Yeah, for sure. Um, Absolutely. I, I'd be interested to know, cause I'm hearing you talk about it and I, I just watched this movie myself. It's uh, it's called Uma. Have you seen that, heard this? Mm -mm. It's a, it's a Korean horror movie mm. about this um, American immigrant who um, is haunted kind of by the, um, remains of her mother who when she was a kid was very um uh possessive of this uh, main character um and she's it's a, it's a great film because like one of the i mean let me say that i i have no claim on on saying whether that's like finally great i just really enjoyed it because i thought it told a really convincing story like you're saying of this woman who comes to america she's a, a big time accountant but she becomes like this bee farmer mm -hmm. out in the middle of nowhere she doesn't like electricity because her mom tortured her as a kid to kind of keep her from running away wow and uh, she has a kid of her own now and um the remains of her mother are brought over from her brother and she's kind of haunting her because of this past is kind of bubbling up as her daughter is now planning to leave for college and so there's kind of some trigger responses there and it's interesting to see how this woman this this older woman is exercised because it's not through like violence or purging or, or, or the rejection of tradition really it's the there's this tender moment between the main character and her mom, the one who's kind of haunting her talking about all the terrible things that happened to her that caused her to be so mean to her daughter. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of like this forgiveness, letting go moment. That's the exorcism rather than like a, a violent purging. Mm. And, and maybe I'm misreading it, but it, it felt like it's trying to honor the past because the next scene is them kind of taking up the ceremonial um, garments that um, her mother used to wear in Korea as a way to honor her at her burial which hadn't been a lot part of their life at all before they actually rejected kind of religion and religious ceremony as a kind of part of it. And so I'd be interested to see what you thought. Um, you know, sure. I, right now it's, uh, it's, uh, it's in that point where you have to either see it in like one of the few places that it's playing at or pay 20 bucks for Amazon to rent it for right. two days. Right. So you may have to wait a little bit before you can uh, justify that purchase, but yeah, sure. I still think it's pretty good. Like I really enjoy the kind of new movement in horror movies to kind of do something more meaningful than just yeah. kind of stabbing and slashing. I mean, I mean, like Jordan Peele, for example. Yeah. I thought he said some really interesting takes. I thought The Candyman was really interesting. Yeah, which I haven't seen. Uh, yeah, well, I would love to hear your thoughts on that, too, because I think that I saw the original Candyman, and it kind of felt like a kind of just a straight-up slasher film. It was in that genre in that period of time, but he kind of re-narrates the entire story of The Candyman in light of a history of lynching, wow. um, which I thought was really, really interesting. And sure. so I, I just really like this new genre of horror that it's about more of a story than just a, a scary yeah, absolutely. villain for sure like that, so absolutely well uh with that in mind let's let's dig into joan i think the the thing i love that you mentioned in kind of your conversation about uh, movies is kind of the narrowness with which cinema approaches a lot of problems and i think that that's a great access point into this conversation about joan of arc i know we've talked about this um i before we dump jump into the movie i want to offer some historical contextualization um just because i'm a history nut 
and I, I don't, I won't go too much into detail because I don't want to lose you, dear listener. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, Joan comes from a very, like, humble means uh, in the 15th century. She's during a period of great conflict between France and England. Mm-hmm. Um, her, you know, she has a great tie to France because her parents are basically own land in, like, the northern part of France, which gets taken over as a result of Henry V's um, campaign into France. And actually, it delegitimizes the rule of Prince Charles. Um, and during this period of time also, I think, I mean, she's roughly, Joan is like 17, 18, 19 during this period where she receives some religious visions about, um, taking over, um, yeah, basically leading France out of, out of darkness into light. She is able to get an audience of the prince and actually is able to lead an army into Orleans and help kind of legitimize his rule, his being Charles rule of, of, uh, France. Um, but she um, eventually kind of uh, is viewed with suspicion by a lot of people in the higher ups of uh, France, even though, you know, she helped kind of liberate yeah, no doubt. much of yeah. France. And so that, that leads to her capture, um, you know, from the Anglo Saxon uh, Anglo. Um, oh, wow. Uh, I'm forgetting their, their sub name, the, the kind of the hyphenated name, but anyway, she gets captured by the enemy and that leads to um, her sentencing and even into death. Um, I can, look that up here in a minute but it's a real interesting character like one of the films that i most associate with joan of arc and for the longest time it was the only thing i knew about joan of arc um was the movie that came out in the 90s i don't know if you know the one i'm talking about <laughs> i do yeah uh, that starred um, the messenger the mess yeah from uh uh from well i mean because this character um uh, is around the same time uh uh Milia jovovich i don't know if you uh, listener know that name, but she stars in a lot of the uh, Resident um, Resident Evil Resident Evil movies. Yeah, and it was around that same kind of vein that she kind of stepped into this Joan of Arc role, this kind of lone heroine who fought and battled and, and things like that. And and so like that was my picture of Joan of Arc for the longest time. And uh, I I I feel like this movie, which happen, comes out way before you know The Messenger comes out in '99. Um, this one comes out in 1928. Um, and so, uh, this gives a much more intimate picture of Joan of Arc, not the one that you hear about throughout uh, history. I mean, uh, she had to Joan of Arc that is, you know, answer charges of heresy, uh, wearing men's clothes was a big problem and, you know, ultimately is condemned to death because of her failure to, you know, not, uh, wear women's clothes again, um, which is interesting, but, uh, she gets canonized years later in the university, uh, university, sorry, the uh, Cathedral of Notre Dame, which recently just burned down, actually. Um, and today is considered the patron saint of France. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's it's fascinating to see kind of her legacy. And she sits at in a weird period of history because it's not a great time <laughs> in Christianity, yeah. that period. It's leading into the Reformation. There's a lot of violence. The Crusades are kind of everywhere at this point in time and so it's not the best time and so she has this deep devotion to god which i think comes across really great in the film um but also this kind of violent edge to her which is typical of the day you know so i don't want to completely write her off for that because everyone's doing this during this period of time everyone's justifying this there's all kinds of um, violence i mean there's there's good embodiments too but i think that's also profoundly human right we both have these um, sinful elements, a part of us, but also these very, I think, beautiful, deeply devotional parts of us as well. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, unless you're Francis of Assisi, who's you know a couple centuries before Joan, you know that you're gonna you're not gonna leave this period of time unstained. 
Um, and I think that's an okay place to be, to recognize that the messenger and Joan of Arc kind of come in tension with one another in this one character. Yeah, but, for sure. Um, I know that you had a couple of things you wanted to contextualize about the movie, but did you want to add anything also to the history? Yeah, I mean, just her... Um, and so there, another movie, one that I've posted about a little bit too on Twitter and <clears throat> posted the little Mark Twain bit on Letterboxd. Um, but uh, by Bruno Dumont, who's mm-hmm. very recent, but depicts the and uses a very young actress, maybe like you know eleven or twelve, mm-hmm. uh, to really depict the youth, youthful nature of Joan of Arc, but also uh, the the actual visions that she had. And oh, it's wow. very powerful mm-hmm. movie. But you know, visions from Archangel Michael, Saint Margaret, and Saint Catherine. Um, and so again, yeah, just really fascinating the the mystical quality of that and kind of her. Uh, innocence and and but also perceived you know in, insanity mm-hmm. um, around um, those things were interesting and, and almost becomes a David and Goliath kind of story in relationship to this <clears throat> young child being the prominent personality to change you know change the tide of the mm-hmm. 100 year, years war 100 right. years war right yeah um, and so some of that, yeah, is super uh, fascinating to, again, just from a purely devotional um, standpoint. And But interestingly enough, I mean, I think my two favorite saints are, are Joan and St. Francis. Oh, wow. CC, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, definitely the two that I've invested the most, you know, energy into spending time with. That's really um, cool. Which is just funny. Right, because they're so <laughs> very different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But very. again, represents I think that internal tension certainly within myself. Oh, um, yeah. you know, and I think that's what's beautiful about the saints is that they represent a lot of different varieties mm-hmm. of the human experience. I mean, even if you go to someone like um, like Saint Anthony, you know, who's an early monk. I mean, he's very different than someone like Saint Augustine, who's also a monk, but have very different sword pasts. And I, I feel like again, I'm not Catholic, but um, the thing that I appreciate about the canonization of, of the saints is that there's a variety of stories that you can find yourself within and all of which has a special place in kind of like communicating the gospel and stuff like that. And that's true for Joan of Arc too. I mm-hmm. mean, she um, is a very vivacious character. I, like I said, like I just, the image in my head is always that scene of Melia Bovovich, like just like coming like with a sword and just chopping this French guy's head <laughs> off. And I'm just like, that is wild, man. Yep. But this, I, I, you know, this film captivated me. I'll use that word. I've never mm-hmm. watched a silent film, and we can talk about that a little bit later. But this was uh, captivating, and, and like, you know, I, I'm kind of tired and exhausted this week because I'm getting over some sickness, and uh, I've got a lot to do at work. And so I sat down to watch this, and I was surprised at how much I was caught off guard by the just the performance the the the, the cinematography even mm-hmm. um and just how beautiful it was because as you say like it, it it captures a part of our human experience which i think is raw and beautiful yeah in a lot of ways yeah um, absolutely but yeah so did you want to say a little bit more about the director and maybe the um, yeah man for sure yeah well first of all this was not the first joan of arc movie mm-hmm. uh one of the earliest ones was 1900 you can see on youtube 10 minute movie about joan of arc Oh, uh, by George Melies, who was one of our original, you know, filmmakers, and um, but yeah, so I think first uh, I do want to dig into that, but uh, this is Dr. Hank's first silent movie That's right. he's ever <laughs> seen. So I just want to hear your just kind of 
uh, experience with the silent movie as mm -hmm. a form and, mm -hmm. and format and how that you know is different for you. Yeah, I mentioned this to to Kyle before we got started. The thing that I think really, uh, the thing that really stood out to me the first is that uh, this is the movie. At least how it's how it's per, like presented is that they f they have this transcript of the the notes of the trial of Joan of Arc, and they actually show it a little bit. Um, and so you're working off of a transcript, and so a lot of things have to be unsaid because you know there's more being said in the room than that is being recorded. Sure. Physically, it's possible. So. For me, the thing that I loved about it, because it's not just, it's not just a silent film. It's also a movie that's in French, and so everything comes through subtitles for me. And so, um, for those of you who've never watched a silent film, you know they will have the scene with dialogue, and they'll cut to a, like a still yeah, of intertitle. the dialogue. It's called yeah. intertitle. Yeah. Intertitle. Yeah. See, this is this is why I'm the it's McDonald's yeah. in this relationship. It's all good. <laughs> but I love it. Like, yeah. and so I I think the thing that I love, the thing that captivated me the most about it was that you have to you have to kind of like immerse yourself in it in a way that you don't have to like in, in like movies with excessive dialogue, because in this movie you have to pay attention to her face, the, the emotion she's trying to communicate because not everything gets translated, even with the faces of the, um, of the, the kind of the, her jurors and the, the canon theologians that are questioning her, you have to pay attention to their mannerisms and what they're, mm -hmm. what they're, and, and in some sense, you're kind of along inside of the plot. I felt like I was a part of the story sure, because I had to kind of piece together stuff on my own to make, so like there's a couple times I had to rewind it to make sure I didn't miss the inner, inner dialogue thing that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, one of which was around when she's being offered Eucharist, but yeah. she's having to submit to the church teaching. And that's something that I had to, to watch through a couple times to absorb exactly what was happening in this moment. Mm -hmm. Like, why is she refusing communion? Um, and so for me, um, like, I, I, I think I mourned the fact that in some sense, like modern film can kind of take us out of that space. It gives us so much. Like, you know, I watched um, three movies over the weekend, uh, Morbius, um, ambulance mm. and uh father stew i would recommend none of them uh, <laughs> uh but i you know like in some sense like it's kind of this this passive reception of of dialogue of everything that's inside of a, a character's head but here you have to you're not given access to everything that joan is thinking um and there's this yep. kind of there's this kind of beauty about it and and the thing that this actress does really well you don't really see much of her like i don't think there's many full body shots if any most of it's just a, like yeah. really close up of her face yeah very textured and yeah and and you feel this um I, I think the thing that i felt more than anything was this sense of like she was really able to communicate with very with no sound <laughs> Everything that Joan must have been feeling as a young 19-year-old girl, vulnerable, out on display in front of these church leaders and judges um, in a way that I think captured her humanity in a rich way. This is not the, the chopping off the, uh, of the Englishman's head, you know, that kind of right. thing. It's, right. it's not that. Like, and so the subtlety was where its beauty existed for mm -hmm, me. Mm -hmm. And so like, I, I felt every minute of it um, in yeah. some sense. Like, I, I, really, I was really impressed with how we actually don't need that much to pull off a good film. Like we don't even need dialogue. Oh, no doubt. In that sense. And so, yep. um, yeah. yeah. And so like, those are kind of my first reactions in terms of the, cause like, you know, I, I don't know if this is common for silent films, but like, you really just don't see a lot of the scenery. You just see kind of their faces and the, their like up close and mannerisms and things like that. 
Um, but I am really impressed with this actress. Um, it's really funny because I, one of the things I thought for listeners who care to know, she looks like this, this professional wrestler that's, that's uh, really popular right now named Becky Lynch, um, which I couldn't get out of my mind every time I saw it. But <laughs> the thing that was really beautiful about it is that like, she shows what is humanly possible in the medium of film yeah. in terms of being able to communicate grace, kindness, I think courage. Yeah. Like there that Absolutely. moment where like they've kind of cornered her and says, Are you wiser than the canon theologians yeah, yeah. that are here? And she says, But but God is wiser. Yeah. You know, in that moment, like that courage is on her face. Yeah. And in some sense you could tell exactly what she said by her face before yep. you actually see the dialogue. And so yeah, I mean Yeah, this it's is unbelievable. Great. I really appreciate this recommendation. I'm glad we're talking about this. Yeah, this no, was for a sure. unique experience. Yeah, and there's yeah d- definitely a number of things to to draw off of that, but that the sense of uh, communicating visually and communicating non-verbally, mm-hmm. and so uh, Falconetti, who's the the actress, that's her last name. Mm-hmm. She's the stage actress, so that's only the only film movie that she ever made. Oh wow. Um, and uh, but was interested in working with Dreyer, even though a lot of the more popular actresses at the time did not want to work with him because he was known to be, um, you know, even more controlling than Hitchcock in some ways and, oh, wow. and fairly demanding. Oh, yeah. Uh, and she seemed up for it, although I think uh, was also exhausted and, and had no real interest, interest in, in working. Uh, in film again <clears throat> and because she you know in theater would have more control over her uh, own um, expression where this, it was very very much directed uh, by Dreyer and so Dreyer is one of the you know he's from Denmark and he's mm-hmm. um, uh, like Hitchcock came up in just the nuts and bolts of filmmaking before he ever became a director mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and had a difficult childhood like Hitchcock um, and um, just was drawn into this world of movies and movie making. Right. Uh, before making his first movie, I think in 1919. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Joan, uh, and after, I mean, there was only, I think, five movies between Joan in 1928 and his final one mm-hmm. in 1965-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and But all are masterpieces. And yeah. very interesting. Uh, some of them are very different like more medium shots much slower pace <clears throat> and very opposite opposing to the energy of Joan uh, but just to show his ability as a director storyteller to find the right pacing find mm-hmm. the right visual mm-hmm. for the for the story right which I think is very important yeah pacing is I think I, th- that's another thing the movie exposed for me too and now that you said it is that pacing is so very important yeah there's no dead space in this no not at all um sorry I'm sorry I interrupted you. no that's, <laughs> no absolutely and <clears throat> yeah I think my said my son said the same thing around like there's just not a wasted yep. image in the movie you mm-hmm. know um, and so, and I've watched the first time I ever watched it, uh, you on the Blu-ray DVD, you're able to watch it in just silence or there's a number of different, um, mm, uh, musical, yeah. Uh, or orchestra, piano, whatever that you can listen to. Um, and the voices of light, the one I think you watched, uh, was also the one I watched. Um, and always you typically go back to is obviously very powerful. Um, but anyways, even in just watching it in nothing but silence, like mm. I remember being mm-hmm. overwhelmed mm-hmm. by just, again, like you're saying, you're very much feel like you're a part of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, the angles are, are different. And so at the beginning when she's on trial, 
and one of the theologians or lawyers comes over, they're standing over top of her. Mm, yeah, you know, you're feeling, uh, and I think she, you know, gets spit on, maybe not oh, even yeah. intentionally at one point. Um, but certainly, like, you are just feeling the oppression. You're feeling the claustrophobia mm-hmm. uh, within that. But anyway, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I, yeah. I was I was very I, – I, I felt I love those camera angles because one of the things, the passion of the Joan of Arc is expressed early on because she's always looking up. Yep. Um, but the theologians are always looking down. Mm-hmm. And so there's this kind of sense in which she's always looking up, even kind of beyond and through them to God yep. in that sense. And there's this wonderful scene you talk about, like there's a fly that lands on her face. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I've, in a minute there, like I just assumed it was CGI because there's no way that that was that perfect. But then I was like, no, this is the 20s. There's yep. no way that's CGI. Yeah. And so I was just like, I like Terrence Malick probably just his breathing intensifies during this <laughs> scene, being able to get something like that. Yeah. But I, yeah, that's so it's, and it's such a crucial moment too. It was perfect. It yep. was perfect. And so, yep. yeah, I love that. No, absolutely. Um, and, but anyways, yeah, this sense of abstraction and a quote, this is a quote from Dreyer, just talking about the sense of the art of presenting the inner, mm-hmm. not the outer life. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this is something I harp on all the time around how we tell stories and how that, uh, the spiritual quality of communicating something about our inner mm-hmm. life, uh, rather than just the plot. Um, and again, the talking through things or whatever, right. how important, uh, and how, how important because of how intensely we respond, right. Uh, to these things when we do respond emotionally, um, and are, you know, destroyed by a movie or uplifted by it or whatever, yeah. but those are, those are important. And to, for him, you know, his sense of, you'll see this in any of the writings that he wrote about or was interviewed about, but the sense of realized mysticism. Oh Yeah. Um, and that he qualifies as a, a hymn to the triumph of the soul over life. And so mm. these are his perspectives going into making this movie mm. um, and wanting to extract this experience, right? And so mm-hmm. I do think um, to the challenge of, like, there's no balance in this movie either around the theologians and um, who they are and, and what they're bringing to the table. They look, you know, fairly, um, you know, uh, insecure and um, and power driven and all the typical you know right. tropes you would throw onto yeah masculinity and theology that's right yeah um, right <laughs> are all there but it it definitely works to bring her out even more and and you do have some compassionate uh, theologians around uh, maybe students whoever they look younger than the older men who are oh, right, you know yeah. um, and in her final uh, Eucharist before she's burned is really actually really powerful from Mm -hmm. them. But anyways, um, bringing it into, uh, her experience so fully, uh, that we're brought into with, and again, it's extracted from actual documentation, right? Yeah. You know? Um, so it wasn't like he was, that was his intent. I think he's trying to draw it out as it was. Um, but certainly, um, really, is powerful in terms of what she is up against in that moment. Yeah. And I think this is something, this is, uh, this could be the sub theme. This could be added to the film faith and mental health subline for our, our uh, podcast. But in some sense, like one of the things we've been talking about a lot, and I, I think we're still only just scratching the surface of this conversation. What does it mean sure. to, what does it mean to accurately represent immorality in film? Right. And so like, for example, the, you mentioned the theologians. There was a lot of church corruption during this time. 
and canon law had been turned into a kind of weapon used against heretics. And so, for example, like the Pope during this time is actually doing crusades against like papal enemies and under the auspice of um, heresy and things like that. Sure. And how can we represent that well humanly while also finding space? Because there are the people like Joan of Arc. There are the people like um, St. Francis. And there's a lot more than we'd like to think, uh, than we do think that are out there who did that kind of thing, um, who are just trying to be faithful um, in that, in that space. And, you know, you write that I, I love the person who says that, you know, this is a, um, in a sense, this is, this is a disgrace. This person's a saint and that kind of thing. And, and they're immediately kind of dismissed from the space. And um, you do have these younger, like on their, on their faces where they take the vote, like she doesn't really want to tell them what God promised her if she would carry out these uh, kind of campaigns against England mm-hmm. and they take a vote and there's, you know, some reluctant um, theologians in there who, who don't want to, don't want to know or don't want to participate in, in what's happening. And so I, you know, I, I wonder that too, because I was thinking about this, just anticipating our kind of conversation because we've had a lot of kind of films in succession where that themes come up, you know, the Joker, we even talked about it with Malick uh, for that matter too, in our mm-hmm. last episode with the um, a brave new world, the, the, the people who, you know, the settlers versus the indigenous. Um, and so I wonder what that looks like and all against set against the backdrop of, of the passion of the, of Joan of Arc, which, which comes across, I think quite clearly her, her devotion to God um, in that moment. And so, and, and I, I don't know how to express this question. So maybe this is, this is not a fully completed thought, but I wonder, like one of the things that you talked about at the, the top end of the podcast about like the abandoning of tradition in that sense, like in, in some sense, you have the younger theologians who are resisting, you've got the young Joan of Arc who are pushing against tradition. And I wonder if a lot of like modern said the critique is like to, to get past these kind of an, antique themes uh, of tradition and, and focus on human and what is new and arising out of this like youthful movement of kind of a rejection of what's gone before um, is mm-hmm. itself a part of the problem. And I don't think that you can lay all of that at, at Joan of Arc's feet um, at all. Like I don't, I don't think that's necessarily something the director is doing, but you do see a lot of this kind of nihilistic film today where it's a rejection of ancient wisdom for in favor of like self-actualization um, kind of like uh, picking a story um, as if you had no story because you get to pick it as your own. And so I, I wonder like it, your thoughts and kind of the way that this film talks about tradition and speaks back against those kind of corrupted moments. That was a long winded comment. No, for sure. I mean, but I think it expo- <clears throat> exposes, this is not a new conversation. Right. One, right. Right. Um, this goes back into God and Israel and the old Testament. Oh, even yeah. um, right. So, um, and I think the thing that we are struggling to, um, you know, figure out is this balance between, you know, this uh, wild God uh, that does communicate with us mm-hmm. um, and that is that, that we have, we experience dreams and visions and, and prayers and words for people and whatever. Yeah. My, I've spent time in the vineyard where, you know, that's, you know, welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm always more trusting of, you know, feels like, you know, uh, God's maybe given me this image and maybe it's for you, you know, mm-hmm. uh, where that's, I've had powerful experiences with that on the receiving end. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the language of, yeah, maybe this is something, or maybe it's not versus like, you know, 
God gave me this dream, and now here's what you got to do. That's it's, right. You yeah. Know, very different, right? So, but anyways, there is this wild part of our experience of our faith, right? Versus uh, what we constantly are trying to come back to regarding good theology, right? right? Yeah. Um, and the traditions and the religious, you know, protecting of. Uh, certain things and and wanting to be able to define what is heresy if we can define it what do we do with it um, and what's sacred and what's profane and right. you know all these things right so this is obviously not new yeah um, and and again I'd like at least within the movie because now I'm also uh, just on a rant um, <laughs> that's okay but in the movie I do love you know, two things. One, regarding the passion, right? Because we've been through the passion of Bobby Sands. And right. The passion of Franz. That's right, uh, yeah. And Hidden Life. Um, and so two things that stand out. I mean, I really do love that there are the younger uh, theologians there who are contending with and drawn towards Joan's useful, innocent experience of God. Like, who mm-hmm. wouldn't be drawn mm-hmm. to this person who's mm-hmm. obviously, you know, mm-hmm. um, believes this mm-hmm. and is experiencing this? So they're obviously drawn into that, and I like that they do play a role in in the the narrative there. Yeah. Um, but then Joan <clears throat> also eventually, which you know is what my struggle with Franz, uh, but eventually she does have a very human moment That's where right. she gives in. She does. Yeah. She's exhausted and she's tired, and obviously she doesn't want to burn. Right. You don't want to burn at the stake. Uh, so eventually she gives in to this. <clears throat> Uh, one theologian priest who seems to be playing the role of mm-hmm. Satan, uh, who's there intentionally manipulating her and, and trying to trick her into um, saying the right answers or whatever. Right. Um, but he's there helping her essentially sign her name because that's how weak she is. Mm. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. That's a beautiful scene in, yeah. in its own way. Um, and then, of course, uh, she almost immediately comes back around to this is not right like this i'm not going to be disobedient to god is her you know mm-hmm. experience in that moment which in its own way is powerful for what it means for her yeah yeah i mean it's interesting how they like this scene how it's displayed here versus the messenger to keep I, I hate to keep going back to that movie no it's all right man yeah it's very different because it feels like it's less about her choosing to follow god and more about kind of like the corruption in some sense it's like the full realization of of, of like our worst nightmares that we've been talking about in this show, like the complete like um, defaming of the other, the, especially the the enemy and things yep. like that. Yep. And yeah, I know it's, it's the, the passion of uh, Franz was somebody who came up into my mind as I was, I was thinking about this too, because um, you also don't get a lot of access into his mind. Um, you kind of just have to kind of fill in some gaps in a certain sense. Um, but with Joan, um, her face carries you through the whole thing. Like you do get, like you don't get access by means of like, she doesn't tell you what she's thinking. Franz doesn't really tell you what he's thinking. He's more stoic. Like I, I was thinking yeah. about that scene where he's telling the other guy what to write to his loved ones as yeah. he's writing his letter. Like Joan, like doesn't tell you what she's thinking, but you can feel it. No doubt. And so she's, she's less of a stoic kind of passion yeah. than Franz, which is more stoic yeah. in that sense. And I, I, I thought of that, you know, based on our last conversation too, of like, Okay, here's some wavering that you were mentioning because I know that you brought that up in the last podcast. But yep. I mean, the thing again that again just caught me off guard because you don't have a lot in the screen. Literally, the whole box of the screen for most of the movie is just this young actress's face. Yeah. Um, and so she, but she fills it well. I think she does a great job oh my with gosh, that. Yeah. Um, and so the power of this moment 
is really great. I mean, in some sense, like the question that I have for you, and maybe this is a this is too hard of a question because uh, I don't know how to answer it. So maybe I'm just passing the buck. What is the passion of Joan of Arc? What is the passion? Well, um, so what I find interesting visually mm -hmm. uh, in regards to calling, obviously you're naming it the passion of Joan, right? right? Um, and so you're in, well, purposely uh, bringing up the passion of Christ and the, she wears the crown before mm -hmm. there's the, it never becomes torture right. uh, physically, uh, but the threat of torture is a very visceral mm -hmm. scene, right. uh, which again is meant to just try to uh, scare her into confessing. Right. Um, and uh, and if you go back into, I mean, it's not one part of Isaiah, but uh, inside and especially outside, mm -hmm. uh, there's lots of images from the book of Isaiah mm -hmm. around the, the skull that comes out of the dirt with the worm in it. Uh, the child at the mother's breast is in that. Mm -hmm. um, the burning, obviously, is itself, you know, out of Isaiah. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, and other, I mean, uh, the number of, like, uh, disabled people uh, that you see in the audience and moving mm -hmm. around and just the, the and the birds, uh, all that I've... <clears throat> Spent way too much time doing today going through Isaiah trying That's right. to like <laughs> see what all's in there. But anyways, um, but that I believe was purposeful mm -hmm. uh, to to show these what just seemed like why are we you know seeing uh, this or or the birds and you can ask that about any movie. That's right. Um, and but any movie worth its weight in its own images and storytelling is using those to communicate something, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so. I think that, yeah, uh, obviously extracting from uh, the passion of Christ itself is enough, but I mm -hmm. like that mm -hmm. uh, Dreyer really digs deep into visceral images mm -hmm. from Isaiah and probably other parts of um, yeah. the Old Testament that are prophesying. Yeah, and I think it's, the, it's, it's an interesting way to tell the stories. I mean, one of the things I love about this time period, I mean, if there's nothing else going on, kind of cathedral architecture is coming into yeah. its fore. Yeah. Um, and the thing I love about cathedrals is they find physical ways to tell the story um, because literacy is a problem. I mean, Joan of Arc in this film, she doesn't know how to read, you know. Um, right. But uh, the stories can be told with a physical space, and I think the film medium can, can be that kind of space too to tell these stories. Um, and the word that I kept thinking as I was like, watching the movie was rapture mm. like you can tell that that joan is caught by what she sees you know and like the like for example when the the priests say that you didn't see saint michael you saw satan right mm -hmm. like just the terror on her face yeah um is really profound to me because you can tell like that that's something that she can't shake even when she you know comes back and and you know signs like a submits to the church and and um and comes back to it and says like, "Hey, I I made a mistake. I've 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 uh, sinned against God, and I need to I need to repent of that." And like you can see that communicated that there's something immediate about it, and it reminds me of just Easter stuff in general. Like you were talking about like vineyard and like images and things like that being so essential. Like sometimes I feel like um, that scene where this the tradition is trying to domesticate the visions of Joan. Um, and this is coming from someone who defends the traditions, you know, yeah, sure. a pretty heavy, you know, I, I talked about the BCP at the front end of the scripture, but yeah. sometimes I feel like we forget just how 
audacious some of the claims are of, of the faith. I mean, Easter is about no resurrection. I mean, that is quite yeah. um, a, a, a pretty out there um, confession. Yeah. You know, I mean, and I, I think that is, is something that's really, really difficult to, to think about in kind of our modern context to think about like when we confess on Easter, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Those are three really, really heavy claims. Absolutely. And, and in some sense, you know, the tradition itself, that people got crucified for, right, in the early right. church, right? Absolutely. And yeah. so it's like this is this is something that yeah. I, I'm not sure that we can let go of. We need to be caught like this, uh, caught by this in the same way that Joan is. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think that that's, that's just such a powerful Easter story in that way. And I think, yeah, and yeah, to, to go along with that, just the sense of we what we do want, um, especially when we're bored with tradition or bored with the religion is to experience this life. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Joan is so attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Not because again, with Franz with his ideals or Bobby with his determination, which she, I think has both of those as well. Uh, but just this like mm-hmm. intimacy mm-hmm. Uh, that at least this film is portraying this deep intimacy that she has with God that mm-hmm. is just mm-hmm. unquestionable mm-hmm. to her. And again, I think that that really, and, and the way, you know, sometimes Chesterton writes about St. Francis, for example, is it's quite a bit more poetic and, um, and interesting bringing out this response, you know, mm-hmm. that he has this life right. uh, and connection with nature and connection with people um, and whatever that that I think we're looking for mm-hmm. when when tradition or religion uh, starts to dry up or feel oppressive or mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. Uh, that we do need this balance. Yes, right. We do need this balance. But I, I'm I'm on your end in terms of uh, coming back to. I think it's important. I think it's you know going to happen more for us to come back to the Book of Common Prayer and the Church of England and the Catholic Church and. Uh, whatever in terms of just the the structure and uh, coming back and saying the creed each week has mm-hmm. been Nicene Creed for me each week has been really important uh, and I have all this value for it right now but you know if yeah. I had been a teenager there I'm sure I would have hated it that's right yeah that's right, right. yeah and it would just been so boring and I, that's something you know I'm working with my own kids uh, about although they seem to be responding well to it as well, but anyways, yeah, yeah. It, it really is you know something to contend with. That's really great. I I don't think I could have said that any better myself because in, in some sense, and I mean this is maybe a mental health question since this is one of our subpoints too. Um, sure. The tradition itself, I think, provides a means of access because in more evangelical circus circles, the idea of like contemporaneous like extemporaneous prayer um, is important and I, th- and I think and I think and I find a lot of value in that too but in some sense I find great value as well like going to something that's been prayed for centuries and generations um, over and and through and and that there's a connection to that even when I can't pray myself there's a, a community and a history that prays for me and with me sure um, absolutely that's deeply formative and I think that that's healing meant like for mental health like how how calming and I, I think of it in terms of like the practice of like grounding when people are having like panic attacks like it's a way to ground oneself to the fact that there's there's a history and a, and a, and a faith right that goes here and, and going off a little bit more of what you said like I, I don't know if it's just because they're men or not but Franz and, and Bobby Sands like they have this they have a faith and I'm, I'm not saying that they don't have faith yeah, for sure but in some sense their faith comes across as like stubbornness mm-hmm Joan's faith comes across as kind of weakness 
and I don't mean that to be derogatory. I think of it in terms of what Paul says, mm. uh, that, you know, God uses what is weak to shame the strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some reason, I am I, drawn to that because it feels like faith, you know? Like, yeah, absolutely. She's, she's throwing herself, she's not confident at all. Bobby Sands is confident. <laughs> Franz is confident. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, there's no terror on his face, and I think you've ruined um, uh, Hidden Life for oh, me. Oh, man, so I'm so sorry. It, not in a bad way. I, <laughs> I, I just think that it, it opens me up to um, this this picture of the fact that like when you see his face in the final scene, it's just yeah nothing. Like, yeah. There's nothing there. Um, like Bonhoeffer, when he goes to the gallows himself, he talks about how cold he is, so he's mm. shivering. Um, when, when Joan goes to her... Her yeah. her end, like you see the terror. Oh man, no and, doubt. And that is what faith is. No doubt. And there's you wonder something... if they actually burned her for the movie. That's I mean, right. It really is. <laughs> right. It really is that visceral. I mean, it's like yeah. this was acted. I mean, it yeah. doesn't seem that way. And again, I think that like the aid of of uh, of like contemporary techniques in cinema has not necessarily helped. Yeah, us at no, all. for sure. It's unbelievable, really. Yeah, yeah. What, what what's capable? What people are capable of? Yeah, like I mean, we can totally Records. like. Well, it's it's the it's the funny thing. Like you can see, uh, you know, in the messenger, her actually burning alive because of what you can do with more sure. contemporary stuff but like in some sense i mean going back to your quote from the director it's about the soul overcoming the body yeah, yeah. and and then the messenger it's about the body overcoming the soul yeah in some sense and so like i i i, yeah. I find her faith more attractive because at easter and i heard it preached a couple of years ago by an anglican priest locally he says you know like the, the fact that so many people at the the tomb expressed fear right and the angels had to constantly be like don't be afraid don't be afraid yep. don't be afraid yep. is that sometimes good things cause uh, require courage yeah you know and you see that in her faith and 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 in some sense like that's i think the authentic faith like we think of faith as the the the, the god is not dead moment where we've triumphed and won and that's what faith is and it's stubbornness but faith is really just this kind of everyday like casting oneself into the unknown in hopes that uh, what one is doing is is going to be um, seen as honorable in God's sight, and mm-hmm. and we don't get that golden ray of sunshine that comes down and and tells us, hey, you're, you're doing the right thing, buddy. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And so you got to do what Joan does. Yeah. I mean, hopefully not to that dramatic of circumstances, at least that frequently. Hopefully, yeah. Um, but nonetheless, we have to have that kind of faith that is that is in, expressed in weakness of like uncertainty and yeah. just stepping out into what one is caught by. And I think that's that's the the challenge of Easter in some sense as we're kind of heading into this season and and what a great film to explore this season. Um, you mentioned this is on HBO Max. Yeah, that's right. Um, you can also rent it on Amazon for about like four bucks. Um, so I'd really challenge you to watch it if you haven't. Absolutely. If you've never seen silent film, this is a great one to start with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, any kind of final thoughts on on Joan of Arc as we're kind of wrapping up here? Yeah, I think the only two was uh, just light and shadow and the, the cross in the window that's oh, utilized. Yeah. Beautiful scene. Um, in a number of scenes, right? <clears throat> uh, where you either see the window and the cross behind her or the shadow on the, up on the wall mm-hmm. uh, or once on the floor when mm-hmm. the uh, priest or theologian who plays the more satanic oh, yeah. trick, you know, uh, tricking kind of character um, manipulative kind of character. He mm-hmm. actually steps on the shadow and it goes away. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And so just, again, communicating um, very clearly, like, who this character is by, you know, the surroundings and what's happening. Again, not wasting any images mm-hmm. in terms of that. So, again, those are, you know, something to look at in the film. Mm-hmm. And I guess the last thing I would <clears throat> speak is that there's something obviously 
feminist about Joan. Right. And I think the thing I love about it in this narrative is just that it's never announced mm-hmm. uh, as feminist. It just mm-hmm. is by Joan having faith mm-hmm. and following God in the 15th century when uh, you were basically treated like, you know, a heretic or a witch. That's right. Um, yeah. You know, at that time for doing that. Um, yeah. And again, that inner strength um, that is, you know, that it comes through in the vulnerability. Right. Um, that is itself profound to, you know, not just give in um, to, you know, what, what other people are telling you about your experience. Right. Um, which, again, is a completely dangerous thing um, in and of itself. Yeah. Um, and it needs to be a consistent back and forth. But fascinating. And, again, I think in its own way, one of the great feminist works for just, you know, telling the story in yeah. the first place. Yeah, totally. You know? uh, do you think that, I mean, maybe you don't have an answer to this question because like there's, there's a ton of saints out there and there's also a ton of female saints out yeah, there. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, Catherine of Siena, you know, like that's obviously yeah. uh, one that comes to my mind too. Um, or Teresa of Avila, you know, yeah. there's all these great saints. Why is it that Joan has made, has been so popularized right there from the beginning of film, as, as I think I, I heard you say, one of the first filmmakers actually makes a film about Joan of Arc. Yeah. Why is she the one that we're so captivated by as maybe like a Western kind of culture? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the, the warrior image Mm -hmm. one, right. Uh, so whether that, you know, I mean, she is the patron patron saint of military. Oh yeah. One. Um, and so she does represent that kind of, again, in an external way quality, uh, obviously one people are attracted to, uh, for a number of reasons, patriotic or otherwise. Um, but also, uh, the, just the internal, um, warrior energy right Mm. in terms Mm -hmm. of having that kind of courage uh when you're also scared and and you're feeling weak and whatever but just cultivating this internal Mm -hmm. uh courage and and warrior i think is obviously important and as it ends up in this movie representing very much that internal Mm -hmm. um but i think yeah there's something um i mean there's just something coming back to uh, the resurrection and these upside down kinds of things that our faith gives us to hold on to. Uh, 15th century Joan, who's 18 years old, uh, turning the tide of the Hundred Years' War, is <clears throat> this warrior who is mystical. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. she was not a trained soldier. She was not educated. Uh, she was following God, right, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> and uh, into uh, this calling to resurrect mm-hmm. France as, right. it, as it were. Um, and so, you know, just that quality, I think it's just, there's so many layers there to extract, mm-hmm. uh, from, from her, which might be, you know, unfair in, tor- in terms of mother Teresa and others who are, are, uh, just compassionate figures right. that's out there. But a lot of the female saints and, uh, church history and whatever you'll read about are, uh, very mystical and mm-hmm. had very yep. intimate very good uh, relationships with God and 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 express that uncomfortably uh, in a number of ways if you my wife who studied all this has uh, communicated a lot of that to me but yeah and Teresa of Avila is uh, her feast day is on my birthday in October oh, so yeah perfect I know right yeah that's that's actually wonderful I I mean I, I I love there's I mean women are kind of a like 
deployed at very crucial parts of church history that are really actually linchpin points. And so, for example, like the ending of the Babylonian captivity um, happens because of the writing, the letter writing of a one faithful um, mystic woman, you know? And so uh, here you have the Hundred Years' War. I mean, you could even go back further and talk about, um, uh, you could talk about like um, Macrina, who's an important figure for uh, early church theology. Like she developed a really great um, theology of resurrection early on. And uh, and even before that, you've got uh, so many great figures, I mean, that are martyrs yeah. um, who die in, in rather fantastical kinds of ways um, that I think are really important. And so, um, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of figures that I think that are important. But yeah, I, I wonder about that. But I think you're right. There's, a, there's, there's this kind of warrior aspect that kind of appeals to a broader audience as well. Um, as, and so anyway, that's, I think that's, yeah. a, that's a good insight. Well, um, yeah. as we're kind of wrapping up here, any, any kind of nuggets of wisdom you want to leave our <laughs> listeners with, either from this film or just in general? I don't think so, man. I think, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, it's on HBO Max. I think if you're, you're up for it, you've never seen it before. Um, it's a wonderful experience, especially yes. during this season to engage with and, and definitely give us some feedback on your thoughts about it. We'd love to hear that. Yeah, we would love to hear some feedback. And I think that's a, a good place to kind of wrap up. Um, if you do want to give us some feedback, there's lots of places to do that. You can do that on any of the sites and platforms that we are uh, streaming through. If uh, you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcast or anything like that, you can. You can leave us comments and, on uh, Podbean as well. But we're also on Spotify and, uh, and uh, some streaming platforms in addition. And so please leave us a review. It helps other people find us and, and uh, see what we're doing. So if you like uh, what you hear here, just uh, leave a review. That'll help uh, help us out a lot. Best way to support the podcast. Things coming up, like I said, my uh, Maya Copa in, in terms of uh, giving you the Star Wars content and the Moon Knight content. Those should drop in the next couple of days. Um, and uh, we will be back together. Me and Kyle will be um, in May to talk about Beasts of No Nation and so we're kind of coming to the end of like a planned cycle we started in January so if there's anything that you want to cover uh, let us know I mean um, we can still obviously come up with content we won't be lost but if there's stuff you want us to cover we'd love to hear you talk about it I know that uh, Scorsese is someone that we've talked about in, in passing and I know that Kyle's got a real great passion for him so we'll probably hit him at some point yeah. but if there's something you want us to cover let us know and uh, we'll go there. So happy Easter, everyone. Uh, be well, stay safe, and we'll see you next time here on the Art House Roadshow. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on Art House Roadshow. We'll see you next time.